You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now listening to the Fantasy Baseball Hour with Al Melchior. And uh, there are some developments to uh, look into that are fantasy-related. There's a little bit of postseason news to uh, catch up on as well. And for the first time in a while, uh, I'm going to be joined by a guest to this one, uh, Tim Heaney from Rotowire. It's going to be his first visit to the show and uh, a well-timed visit because uh, just a couple weeks ago, Tim wrapped up his, I believe, his first Tout Wars Championship. He won the Mixed Auction League in dominating fashion. Uh, in fact, on the last show, I think I, I uh, at that point, I was in the midst of writing a two-part series on my Tout Wars team uh, in that Mixed League Auction, uh, which obviously did not win because Tim won, and I wasn't particularly close. I was middle of the pack, uh, so I pro- broke down the uh, the good and the bad of, uh, of my team, and it almost felt like I was writing tim's season recap because uh every time i looked at what i didn't do so well i pointed tim's team and said okay and once again you know, here's what what tim heaney did and, and what he did very well so uh we'll get to hear from tim in his own words uh what uh you know what really worked for him this year because uh there was uh, obviously much much more uh, good that he did with this team than uh, not so good. So we'll have Tim on a little bit, uh, a little while, uh, but let's run down some of the news. Uh, so earlier today, that is Wednesday, uh, D.D. Gregorius had has in, his anticipated Tommy John surgery. He is expected to miss probably most of the first half for next year, uh, but the, even before he had the surgery, there was a quote uh, from... Uh, uh, I'm trying to remember if it was, uh, yeah, it was from Aaron Boone. Want to make sure it wasn't a Brian Cashman quote, uh, but a quote from Aaron Boone saying that he thought that uh, Gregorius would uh, be with the Yankees for the majority uh, of next season. So you're probably looking at an early to mid-summer return for Gregorius. And according to SportsIllustrated.com, Glaber Torres is expected to make the move over from second base to shortstop to fill in uh, for Gregorius while he is out. Uh, so that's one bit of news that's uh, come to us just uh, a little bit earlier today. Uh, also, Gio Gonzalez in uh, game four of the uh, NLCS uh, made it just a little bit more than an inning, and then he uh, rolled his ankle. And uh, turns out that uh, he sustained a high ankle sprain. And so he has now uh, already been replaced on the Brewers NLCS roster. Zach Davies is going to take his place. I don't know if Davies is going to make a start or not. Uh, but, uh, well, you know, given that it looks like they're, the, the Brewers rotation is pretty well set for the next few games, uh, I would think probably if he were to start at all, it might be, be game seven. But uh, in any event, uh, so Gia Gonzalez out, Kyle Davies in. Also, uh, we do know that uh, for later on here on Wednesday, that Wade Miley is going to start for the Brewers in Game 5. 
And he's doing it on just three days rest. So he's been scoreless so far in the postseason. Uh, his last outing just on Saturday, Miley went five and two-thirds, uh, not allowing a run. Uh, through just 74 pitches, which probably is what makes it possible for him to start Game 5. However, Miley has only made one start in his career on three days rest, and that was back in 2012, and that was after an outing where he threw just 34 pitches, so less than half the number of pitches that he threw uh, in Game 2 uh, last weekend. So be interesting to see how long Miley can go and if he uh, will remain just as effective. And also catching up on some other uh, Brewers stuff here. Not really news, but just, you know, since it's frankly, you know, most of what we're going to be talking about uh, right now is just what's going on in the postseason. And you can't really talk about it without talking about uh, Orlando Arcia. So he uh, already has three home runs in the postseason. If you've paid any attention at all, you probably already heard and read this a zillion times that Arcia has three postseason homers, which equals his number in the regular season. So Arcia, not known as a power hitter, uh, but uh, not only is he providing power, but he's extending uh, a, a sort of hit streak, and I say sort of, and I'll explain why in a second, uh, a semi-hit streak that he uh, began late during the regular season. Arcia now has a hit in each of the last 13 games that he has started. So he has a hit in all six of the postseason games that he has started. There was one where he did not start. Uh, but also the last seven games of the regular season that he started, not necessarily the ones he played, but the ones he started. He's got at least one hit in each of those last 13 games, regular and postseason combined. And in those games, he's 18 for 53 for a 340 average. He's got the three postseason homers. Uh, he had a couple of doubles during the regular season portion of that streak. And in those 53 at-bats, he struck out just six times. So he's uh, legitimately red hot, uh, Orlando Arcia. I'll get on to some other postseason performance stuff uh, in just a moment, but a couple other news items. Uh, Sangwon Oh uh, is considering possibly uh, returning to Korea for next season. Uh, so uh, I saw this off of uh, MLB Trade Rumors, and they got it from uh, Jiho Yu of the Yonhap News Agency. So... Uh, Oh, uh, a good uh, a good season this past year. I'd say a bounce back season, although not uh, in a closing role, but may not be an option at all for us uh, going into next year. Uh, the Angels uh, have uh, opted out of their lease with uh, Angel Stadium. However, they are most likely going to be back there for next season. Uh, but if they didn't opt out this year, they would have to wait another ten years. Uh, so that. Uh, gives them time to, uh, to figure out if maybe they're going to move to another site. There were some reports that they just may move to a nearby site uh, that's still in Orange County. Uh, so that was uh, a news item that came up here on, on Wednesday. And uh, Major League Baseball has conducted investigation uh, that uh, involved the a member of the uh, Astros organization using a camera, pointing the camera into uh, the Red Sox dugout. In game one of the ALCS, that uh, has already been concluded, that investigation. Uh, there have been no charges that have been issued uh, at, at this point, uh, or no punishment, I should say, uh, that's been issued at this point. Let's get back to uh, some of the performance news. Uh, Nathan Avaldi with a terrific start on uh, Tuesday night uh, against the Astros. Uh, cameras or no cameras, 
and he now has two uh, quality starts in his two postseason uh, appearances this year. And I think that he's been, in a way, somebody who maybe has been overlooked, or maybe it's just my own filter, maybe just me overlooking. But I haven't really seen a whole lot of mention of Avaldi as somebody who broke out this year. And in a lot of ways, he did. Uh, doesn't necessarily show up in the in the ERA. Uh, he had a very low strand rate of 67%, uh, but he did set uh, career bests both for strikeout and walk rates by a good margin uh, and really turned it on after getting traded from the Rays to the Red Sox. So uh, I thought it would be an interesting question to put uh, to the Twitterverse, uh, question being, what type of mixed league would you draft Nathan Avaldi for next season. And so the options I offered were, um, and I, well, the way I phrased it was, which is the shallowest mixed league? Uh, so 12-team, would you go as shallow as that? Would you only go as shallow as a 15-team mixed league? Would, you, would it need to be deeper than a 15-team mixed league? Or are you waiting to see where he signs in the offseason? Could make a difference in terms of wins or park factor, what have you. So uh, of those who voted, little more than half, 54% said they'd be good to draft Avaldi in a 12-team mixed league. So apparently, you know, maybe it, it's not a uh, an overlooked breakout. Uh, 24%, so just under a quarter, said uh, it would have to be a 15-team mixed league or deeper. Only 5% said deeper than a 15-team mixed league. So at least he's, he's definitely on the radar of the vast majority of owners in 15-team mixed leagues uh, and shallower. And uh, 17% said, depends on where he is going to sign. So I thought that was interesting. I'm sure I'll write about Avaldi at some point uh, this offseason, but just curious about sort of where the, the pulse of the uh, the fantasy owners is on, uh, on that one. Uh, so Chris Sale, uh, since the last show, which was last Wednesday, Chris Sale was admitted to Massachusetts General Hospital with a stomach issue. Uh, he was, however, released Monday morning and was cleared to join the Red Sox uh, yesterday. So kind of old news, but again, catching up on some things since the last show. And Alex Anthopoulos says that uh, the Braves are interested in bringing back both Nick Markakis and Kurt Suzuki. Uh, that's according to Gabe Burns of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, so I've got uh, some Arizona Fall League updates that I want to get to you uh, some players that are standing out in the early going it's it's and it is the very early going uh, it's only been uh, in progress for a little bit more than a week but there's some players uh, some obvious ones and some not so obvious ones uh, that are worth a mention here but also um, I know that soon uh, we're gonna have uh, Tim Heaney on with us so uh, Definitely want to. And uh, in fact, we already do have Tim here. So, from uh, RotoWire, a uh, longtime fantasy analyst, a uh, longtime league mate of mine in the uh, Tout Wars mixed, uh, mixed Auction League. And as I said earlier in the show, and probably on some previous episodes, Tim Heaney, he has absolutely had absolutely dominated the league this year. Really excited to have him on to talk about that. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for joining me here. Hey, Al, it's uh, good to talk to you, man. It's always fun sitting with you at the draft and always good to catch up. It's, it's nice to be on the show. Thanks. 
Yeah, no, no, it's great, great to have you on, and, and likewise, always uh, great to see you too. And, and uh, yeah, we don't get to talk that often in between uh, auctions, so <laughs> uh, it's good, good, good to touch base with you. So, um, yeah, you know, you absolutely blew the doors off of the league this year, and you wrote a terrific recap of the year for your team um, for RotoWire, which I strongly recommend that fo- folks read. Uh, frankly, it's going to be something I probably refer to over and over during the off season and try to learn from uh, from your success. And it's just really comprehensive and well-written. So I do encourage everybody to, to go check that out. Uh, but one of the things that you mentioned in this recap, uh, and I love this, you, you talk about your T-shirt players. Uh, so uh, maybe first of all, if you could explain what, what a T-shirt player is and who some of your players were that, that get that distinction from this year. Well, I, I think it's just something I just, I didn't come up with the notion of things. I just think that it, I don't know if anyone out there has ever been to um, Baseball HQ's first pitch forums, Baseball Symposium in Phoenix every November. It's actually coming up in a few weeks. Uh, you know, you have guys that are the kind of want to help them win their league. They wear the jerseys and the shirts of them. I mean, you know, I, I remember my first couple times there, you know, Jason Collette and Paul Spore were some of the big guys that just kind of rotated jerseys depending on the day, I guess, <laughs> which ones they liked or which ones helped them win. And it's like, you know, you got to think about that stuff. You think about the, the players that you targeted, the ones that really made the difference. It kind of goes with how your your process works. It goes with, okay, I did, I bought that guy low, no one wanted him, that type of thing. And yeah, it's just it's good to recognize the guys that you that that, that paid off your process, I guess, so to speak. All right, well, it makes sense. I like the like the concept, and also a nice pitch for uh, for baseball's Q first pitch, which is I've been in a long time, uh, but it's. It, certainly, I've had a great time when I have gone, and everybody uh, is, is a satisfied customer that goes there. So, um, all right, well, in your recap, uh, you, you named five players that I, I think we could all agree would be great candidates, especially given how little you paid for them. Blake Snell, you spent $6. Javier Baez, $6. Miles Michael is $6. Uh, Michael Brantley, just a dollar, And Eddie Rosario, $3. That one surprises me in retrospect. Uh, it's not one of those things that hit me on auction day. Where it's like, wow, how come nobody went for? Uh, but in retrospect, that that was a tremendous bargain. So uh, maybe if you can narrow it down to one or two, which of those buys are you the most proud of, or, and or you, you credit with um, you know helping you win the league? It's like picking between children, Al. Come on, uh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> um, Michael Bradley surprised the most. Surprised me the most. Uh, you know, that, that's a good OBP value right there in this OBP league. Everyone remembers that. I think that's kind of why Eddie Rosario was kind of low. His power pace was a little bit crazy early, so I get why maybe he would be last. Miles Michaelis, you know, not many strikeouts as many others, but that, that, that batted ball up just really came through. I think Snell and Baez are the two I, I think I have to consider. Um, you know, Baez being finally the breakout came, you know, five category across the board, even though OBP was less good. I think my guys fell, though. Just the, the profit of those strikeouts and those pitching numbers in the in a market where there was still a lot of money spent on top-end pitching, I was lucky that he was nominated later. And at another point, I go into the article, don't nominate guys you want early. Wait as long as you can and as long as you have the money for it. Uh, Blake Snell, I think that's the most profit. Maybe the most profit pick I've ever made. So, got to go with that one. Yeah, it would be tough to... to uh... To, to beat that one. Now, my own recap that I wrote, um, and as I said earlier in the show, it was almost sort of like half of the recap was really a recap of your team because it's like, okay, here's here's what I should have done yeah. better. Let's see what Tim did. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I... Oh, man. Thank you for that, but... Yeah. Well, it, you know, it was, was helpful, you know, for me to, you know, to, an easy reference point 
uh, you know, to go and look and see, you know, all right, how did somebody do this differently with better results? And so, uh, you know, ERA was uh, an, an area where uh, I underperformed, and the you know obviously the the pickup the cheap pickups of of Snell and Michaelis helped a lot. Not only in that they just flat out helped you in those categories, but they afforded you the chance. Granted, he he did underperform this year, but you know, granted you the chance to spend and, and get Mass and Bumgarner to spend amply on your offense without. I mean you know, understatement of the century, but, you know, without sacrificing your pitching. Those guys actually helped your pitching. So was there anything in particular about Snell and Michaelis that, you you know, I mean, were you just fortunate to get those guys or, or were they really targets and was there a reason for that? Well, it was kind of going along with what you said about spending big on offense this year. I spent way too much on top end starting pitching last year. My first four guys, I think, went for about $70 I bought. I, I regretted a lot of the purchases, like a Jake Arrieta, Felix Hernandez. I was like, yeah, I didn't feel good about that because, you set the bar too high at some of those, and I think we got to get back to the pitching is volatile days, especially in auctions. Got to kind of go for those mid-range guys. I wanted to save those topper dollars for the pitches that could really break through. And Snell, I was, I would have gone probably to ten on him at least uh, in this pace because I think that you know you, you buy those budgeting skills like the one skill away type of guys. And Michaelis, of course, has the, the, the intriguing arsenal. Got to me, the Cardinals are usually a good setup for pitching. A lot of things that could go right there. I think I wanted to target more profit from starting pitching this year, and everything just happened mm-hmm. to kind of fall into place with those two. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, Snell certainly, you know, had, had the upside, and like you said, yeah, I think you just said uh, you, you know, you're willing to go 10 on him. Uh, Michaelis, that one's, you know, uh, probably one that would have been harder to, to foresee, uh, the upside. with Yeah. Him. And especially because he did it without, you know, without a big strikeout rate, too, so. Yeah, I don't think I'll be chasing him next year as aggressively. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah, no, that that, that absolutely uh, makes sense. So all right, well, you already talked about uh, one or two of your auction tips. Uh, you know, mentioning saving the nominations for the players that you really want till later. Uh, that's one that I I like to do as well. But uh, yeah, I just kind of want to uh, go through some of these from your uh, your recap column. Uh, and actually, your number one, if you have the time, do your own player projections at least of those players you're stuck on. That's an interesting piece of advice. I've never heard it put across that way uh, because obviously doing your own player projections is an incredibly time-intensive uh, undertaking that you know a lot of us don't don't have the time to do, especially if you don't work in the industry. Uh, but you know, basically, you're saying you know selectively, do. <laughs> selectively doing it. Um, yeah. So. Uh, that, that's just really interesting. Uh, is that something you've been doing for, for a while, or do you do a full set, or, or how, what, how does this actually work in practice for you? I, I do about 400 a season, but it kind of drags into, like, January, February, because football gets in the way. And, and we have guys that, you know, Jeff Erickson, Chris Liss, you know, and, and of course, Todd Lillard once did them for World of Wire. Those, those, those are great sources to have there. They're, they're definitely cleaner systems that I can say for mine. I'm not saying I'm, a, I'm an expert, but I do like to do some by hand if I'm really, you know, I focus on the top 350 usually, and then kind of progress from there with sleepers and stuff, but yeah, it, it's a drawn-out process, which I, like like I said, it's not good for me to publish them, because it's not the perfect system, but I think you can get a better look if you, you see a guy's trend of batted balls is going a certain way, or or if a guy was really lucky with backup or something, you can notice that and kind of picture for the last three or four years of stats and get an idea of where he's going, so I think understanding the, the baselines and the, the established perspectives that we get from players in the past and where they might be going, I think I can help you scale things out on draft day, and that's important for auctions to get that yeah, no, absolutely, and actually that, was, that leads right to the next thing I was going to ask, which is, um, 
do you have any advice for people if they do take that uh, take that advice and just do selective players that they're not really sure about and and how does that translate into uh, auction values do you, is there a particular right. tip that you have for that well there's there's a lot of systems you can use i mean a lot of the guys at rotowire we do have some i believe we have some how to play fantasy baseball i think we might have a production tips article there's a lot of resources you can find online with that stuff just the most important thing I find is, you know, you got to go with, like, I try to c- compare a lot of things. I'm not the biggest math guy, but I try to do, like, a slope comparison, like a standard deviation comparison. And, you know, what's that guy's production worth? Is it worth overspending on if he's going to be that superior or inferior in a category to a certain guy? To just kind of scale out how you expect these players to go and, and how they fit in the big picture. And, you know, try to look at the strikeout picture league-wide or something like that to get these pitchers and, the home run picture league-wide from season to season, see where it's going. And always always keep in mind the role that a player has with that certain team. If he's a leadoff hitter, a cleanup hitter, bottom-of-the-order hitter, uh, how that affects runs and RBIs, that sort of thing. That'll help kind of work your way into draft day preparation where you know the, the categories to target with each of these people. Yeah. Well, and I'm, I'm also glad that you just brought a batting order because one of your players that I did mention in my recap was Michael Brantley and an area where I didn't pay enough attention was batting order. And you, and in fact, I think in your own recap, you you talked about Moncada as somebody who maybe wasn't a great value or uh, you know wasn't one of your your, your better picks. Uh, and I cited him as well, but just because he was a, a plate appearance compiler. And right. uh, mm-hmm. you know, so you know, runs was an area where I really struggled from the get go, and uh, I didn't have enough of those guys. So even a Moncada, I think, could be valuable. Uh, you know, just in terms of, of the counting stats. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the times I put him out of my lineup in and out because, like, I, I need OBP boosts for a couple weeks or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a lucky, lucky, fortunate luxury to be able to make that move. But, yeah, Mokata, still going to be very useful even though he strikes out all the time. Still hitting near the top of a lineup is always going to be a boost to anybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it's a important, uh, as I learned the hard way this year, uh, important to pay attention to that. Now, uh, this is tip number eight in your recap. And this one, maybe more yeah. than any other, really caught my attention i'm not saying punt strikeouts but in many leagues it might not need the draft day attention we think it does so the gist is that uh there may be more strikeout sources you can get on waivers uh you know than in other categories which absolutely makes sense you know given the trends that that you know pitchers are getting more strikeouts batters are striking out more it's more of a three true outcomes uh you know kind of game now uh and yet one of the things that i found in my own recap was uh, when I did go to waivers to get strikeouts, and two pitchers that I, I mentioned specifically, Trevor Richards and um, Domingo Herman, uh, in terms of net value it, or, or total value, it, it really sort of backfired because the hit I took in terms of ERA and WHIP didn't really justify the the pursuit of strikeouts. Um, so, were there particular players this year? that you were able to get off of waivers that, that helped you or, you know, ones that you at least sort of had targeted or um, you, what was your experience with, with, uh, you know, trying to, to get strikeouts uh, off of waivers? Well, I think the, when, when Madison Bumgarner, who's my ace this year, kind of got hurt, I did kind of decide that I might not have the volume to really compete in the category. So I did, I, I saw it fall behind. I decided that I shouldn't chase strikeouts in risk of risking, you know, in the risk of blowing up ratios. Because I think that's, in this offense-minded baseball, it's more important than ever to really keep your pitching ratios tight, especially in rotisserie where, where, the, where the difference adds up. And before you know it, in June, if you've started too many bad streamers, you might be too far behind. I think, you know, 
I, I want to have a, I did a lot of four starting pitcher, four relief pitcher setups this year. I did a lot of Chris Davinsky. Uh, you know, that, I mean, he, he didn't have the greatest year, but he still had a, a solid start. And he was a little volatile, and you know, the, the ERA and the whip caught up a little bit. But I still think he was pretty useful for the most part. I had like a Corbin Burns weeks here and there where he was, you know, striking out guys pretty well. And of course, I, I will say ERA, ERA and whip were volatile. I think I did get lucky with Snell being so as good as he was, and Michaelis being, you know, really above average. There, what little fortune, but. I think you can still play games with that during the season where you do have the strikeouts. You can add to that. It's the easiest thing to find if you're just looking for relief help as like a as a, as a you know like a fifth to sixth inning type of guy. Like the next wave of Josh Hayes and Chad Green's like maybe like a Dylan Floral becomes that guy uh, for the Dodgers mm-hmm. this coming year. An example of the guy finding that next guy that can give you three innings a week of like five or six strikeout baseball with good ratios. Uh, somebody else is on to Dylan Floro. <laughs> he he helped me out a lot in score sheet. The- yeah. yeah, yeah, no, it's funny because I'm actually I'm uh, right now working on a piece about the reliever landscape for next year, and so yeah, I'm looking at the the Dylan Floro types uh, that that might yeah. emerge. It'd be very uh, important this year to do that. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, there'll be a lot more where that came from uh, throughout the uh, the off season. Uh, but speaking of relievers, I, I want to get to one other uh, part of your uh, recap here. Uh, that you, you have a list of your what you call waiver wire wins, your um, you know the, the players that were really you know good value uh, that helped you out a lot, and on the list you've got uh, Bud Norris, Hector Rondon, uh, Willie Peraltis, and Jeffrey Jeremy Jeffress, who it looks like you actually picked up twice uh, from Fab. Yep. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I've got one or two I of those as well. On Jeremy Jeffress in future this year, yeah. <laughs> I think Lourdes Gurriel was in the two-timer club for me, and I think there might be one other. Uh, but in any event, yeah. so, uh, you know, I was actually thrilled that I got off of Fab after a, a bunch of really uh, you know, pretty bad misses, but I didn't spend a lot on a lot of them. But trying to acquire saves, um, I got Kenley Jansen in the auction, and I thought, okay, I'm set. I'm going to sit here with Kenley, and then I'm just going to put it together the rest of the season because there's so much turnover. And it looks like you had a very uh, similar type of strategy, uh, but whereas I was excited that I got half a season of Will Smith and half a season of Jose Leclerc, uh, you really <laughs> made out like a bandit uh, to a much greater degree here. So um, so I guess two questions. And one is that yep. uh, you know you make the comment that it's really important to kind of get, a, in your words, you get ahead in the chase for saves. Um, is, it, yeah. is it really that important uh and secondly, what what uh, did you do that uh, enabled you to have so many hits with your uh, reliever fab bids? Well, I, I think I devalued offense on the waiver wire was a big part of that. I really didn't even get into that as much here, but I think that offense being so replaceable, I think you can re, you can reallocate some of your fab resources to pitching and chasing or, or chasing whatever category you need. I did luck out with saves. I was kind of preemptive on Hector Rondon a little bit. I think he got the save the night before I picked him up or something, and then, then he ran away with the job. Uh, Willie Peralta was no, – everyone hates Willie Peralta, so I tried to sneak in on that one. <laughs> Jeremy Jeffers, I, I still like the skills. I failed the first time with him because uh, Hayter was running away with it. And then, you know, cheaper cheaper trying round two. Just stick with the guys that you think have the skills to do it. And, if, you know, they say skills eventually went out, it eventually rotates around. You always have to be preemptive with if you see a guy blowing two saves. Cause of course, you know, I got lucky with Bud Norris because he held on for a while, but I knew there was going to be something down the pipe wrong with him, and he would be kicked <laughs> out. So just keep looking for those guys to stash, and just keep, never never stop tinkering with, with your bench. So, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I, absolutely. And I agree with that. And, uh, you know, I was happy uh, that it worked out even sort of halfway for me uh, because I think it made the difference. You're not between... a good trade, too, though. So. Well, that's you. Well, yeah. man, that's that's right where I was going next. Uh, in fact, I want right. to uh, wind up with this. So, yeah, you and I uh, had a swap of starting pitchers. Uh, so I, I sent you Rich Hill. I got back Kyle Freeland. I was at the time, and I would say even throughout the season, really happy with that trade. Um, yep. But you know, by the end of the season, I was less happy with it. Um, so, I mean, I, I could tell you sort of what my motivation was and what my thoughts were, mm-hmm. but uh, I, since it's, uh, well, since you know, I've got you on and, and can't have you on uh, every week here, uh, uh, I'm really yeah. interested to have you go first here and, and tell me what, from your perspective, what was your motivation to trade Freeland for Hill? I, well, Freeland was, you know, Freeland kept his pace up for just about all the year. I was skeptical that it would keep that way. And here's the thing. It ties in with the point of strikeouts. I needed the upgrade in strikeouts. So Rich Hill being the guy that could own possibly one of the best pitches in baseball when he's on, he was injured at the time. I took the chance. I was in the position where I could take the chance, fortunately, because I did pick up Freeland. He was good for me for, I think, about a month. I had him for a little, I had a little, little while before I traded him to you. I, I was taking on the risk there. It paid off. You know, Hill wasn't clean, but he, get, he got me the strikeouts I needed to at least hover in the middle. So I think that was – I knew Freeland could – Surpass that because he does have the ground ball skills, and the, we didn't know the Rockies were at the extent they were with their philosophy being so good. But I did want to take that chance on Rich Hill strikeouts, so I was probably thinking of te- I was taking a loss on the deal at the point just to, to take that risk. But I think I caught up to you a little bit, but I still love how it worked out for you. I'm glad this one actually was a bit of a payoff for both of us. Yeah, no, it it totally worked out that way, and yeah. So for me, it was a uh, definitely a net loss of strikeouts. But I was so far behind Jeff Zimmerman, uh, who was the next player up in the standings, that it actually yeah. didn't didn't hurt me there. Uh, and I, you know, could point to a number of fab moves that actually hurt me much more in strikeouts than um, than this trade did. But for me, it was it's just interesting. I mean, and I think this is a good kind of case study in um, you know when to make a trade because you were able to take that risk. I. You know, at that point, I'd gotten pretty much the worst of Rich Hill and traded him, you know, to you just in time for you to to reap the best, both in terms of him being healthy and making consistent turns in the rotation and, you know, and pitching really well. Um, But I just I did. I wanted the safer option. And oddly enough, I had much more confidence in Kyle Freeland plodding along, being, you know, okay enough for strikeouts. Uh, and you know, being being good for ERA, and that 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 did pay off. But I understood I was taking a risk in, in losing the strikeouts. But I I actually I was really surprised at how well Rich Hill did for you uh, the rest of the year because at that point mm-hmm. I was yeah I was pretty discouraged. I thought well there's, there's a chance he bounces back, but I don't know. He's up there in age. He's never healthy. You know I just I, Freeland just looks like so much of a safer bet. Uh, but we, you know, like you said, we both got especially. something out of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. to go deeper in games, Freeland, absolutely. Rich Hill's a five and fly still, so yeah, I, I get yep. it. <laughs> so uh, you know, we each got what we want. I want a little bit more safety. You wanted the strikeout upside. Uh, you took the risk. Yeah. It paid off big for you. Uh, so you know that I, 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 that's a trade I can feel good about. Uh, you know, in, in both directions. Absolutely. So, absolutely. Um, so uh, well, uh, before. Uh, you depart, Tim. Uh, what have you got going on here during the postseason and offseason next few weeks ahead? I'm doing a lot of football stuff. You can catch the Rotowire Wednesday Wire chat on Facebook and Thursday and Sunday comment threads. Uh, I'm on the 
Fantasy Football Podcast with John Halpin, one of the one of the other great guys in the business. It's just uh, fun to do that with him every week to recap Sunday action. Going to be involved in, you know, like I said, doing my own productions, writing some outlooks for the World of Wire Fantasy Baseball magazine that's due out in the coming months. And, and yeah, just kind of picking away, seeing see how I can not make this be a flukish win. Uh, you know, I, I try, to look, try to learn something out of these things. I mean, you know, I've been finishing near the top and way in the basement a couple times. I'm just happy to get this one one win here. And, yeah, it's always, like I said, you guys, Top War Mixed Auction is one of the best drafts I've ever been in. Greatest room. You guys are always a great challenge. Happy to have come on top this year. Just got to just got to not make a fool of myself next year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, you, you certainly, you know, uh, if, you, if you didn't have figured out going into this year, you figured a lot of stuff out. And, uh, and congratulations to you, Tim. It was just a, a fantastic win. And, yeah, it's, it's a great, great league to be in uh, every year. So I would encourage people, again, go check out your league recap on Rotowire and also to look for you for your baseball and football uh, work on Twitter at Tim underscore Heaney, uh, H-E-A-N-E-Y. Uh, just like some pitcher in Southern California. Uh, so, uh, uh, anyways, uh, Tim, uh, I'm sure you never. Thank you so much, Al. Pleasure talking to you, man. Absolutely. Uh, likewise, Tim. So, yeah, have a great off season. Thank you, man. All right, so, something else. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Uh, so, Tim Heaney from Rotowire, and uh, all the best, best to you. And uh, really looking forward to uh, to next spring when uh, when we meet up again. Uh, so I am uh, didn't leave enough time earlier in the show to talk about uh, the Arizona Fall League. So uh, just a few players that uh, I want to uh, just update you on. And again, it's, it's very, very early going, very small samples. Uh, but, you know, it's fun. It's fun. And, and like I said on last week's show, you, even when you get the larger sample of the full season, it's not usually very predictive of anything. Maybe in the, the rare case once in a while it it, uh maybe raises somebody's profile going into spring training somebody who definitely does not need that is vladimir guerrero jr but uh it's just almost comical just how easy baseball seems to be for him he is 13 for 22 so far and there's in a fall league he's got five doubles and a stolen base uh peter alonzo i don't know if he's working on his defense like the mets uh supposedly were wanting him to do you know, whatever, uh, as far as the defense, I don't, yeah, that, that I didn't buy that, but, uh, he continues to hit, uh, he is 10 for 23 in the AFL with a couple of homers, a couple of doubles and a couple of steals, uh, that the steals are the interesting part. Really? Uh, he did not steal a single base either at double a Binghamton or triple a Las Vegas this year, but he did hit 36 homers with a 285 uh, batting average. So uh, he's uh, doing it all so far in a little bit more than a week of, of play. Um, Keston Hira having a nice AFL so far. He's 7 for 21 with a couple of homers, two doubles, and a triple. So uh, all but two of his hits are extra base hits. And he also has a couple of steals. And that's the one thing from his minor league numbers this year that you figure you can count on as uh, Hira works his way uh, up through the Brewer system is uh is the steal so he's shown a little bit of power on top of that uh, but uh you know definitely should be a good stolen base source and lucius fox not a lot of power there uh shortstop prospect in the race system but uh does have a homer so far he's nine for 22 but already he's had just 22 at bats and already lucius fox has five stolen bases five for five in stolen bases he stole 23 uh, in advanced class A Charlotte, that's the Florida State League, 
uh, 23 steals with a 282 batting average. Did hit a couple of homers. Um, and the, the Florida State League is not does not really favor power, but Fox uh, certainly uh, coming up is, is somebody that you're going to be looking at more as a stolen base threat. Now, when he did get promoted to double A, the numbers weren't so good. He only hit 221 there, but, um, you know, we'll see how he does uh, in 2019. And, uh, you know, so far, certainly this performance is not uh, hurting his uh, prospect stock. On the last show, I think maybe the only player I mentioned was Forrest Whitley, and uh, he just continues to be dominant. He's made a couple of starts. He's gone seven in the third, just allowed two runs, and now has 14 strikeouts, almost two strikeouts an inning for Forrest Whitley. Uh, but Darwinson Hernandez, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Uh, it's like Darwin, uh, but with the Z-O-N on the end. Darwinson Hernandez, his pitched just four innings in the Arizona Fall League. He has yet to give up a run, but he has 11 strikeouts. And uh, kind of an interesting story because he had been a starter as a prospect for the Red Sox. And then late in the year, very late in the year, got promoted to double a portland and worked primarily or i'm sorry not primarily exclusively as a reliever for portland uh but as a starter in uh uh advanced class a salem hernandez uh pitched 101 innings and got 124 strikeouts just 21 years old left-handed uh pitcher starter turned reliever and tearing up the arizona fall league so far so pretty interesting uh player to watch there So uh, on that note, I'm going to wrap this up. And once again, really would like to thank uh, Tim Heaney for uh, joining me just a little bit earlier in the show. And uh, I will be back again next Wednesday. So enjoy these League Championship Series. And uh, we'll talk about that much, much more next Wednesday. Have a great one, everybody. Enjoy baseball. 